Are you a 3PL spending more time and money than you'd like recruiting and onboarding logistics roles? Then it's time to check out Rapido Solutions Group, the leaders in nearshore logistics staffing. Located right next door in Mexico, they have access to the freight talent you need. From carrier sales to tracking and tracing and everything in between, they can do the heavy lifting for you. So if you're ready to get your time back and want to move fast, check out Rapido Solutions Group. Visit GoRapido.com to get started today. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever live episode of the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, live from Chattanooga at the Freight Waves F3 event. Thank you all for being here. I'm your host, Nate Schuth. This is the show that we highlight founders um, building companies in the supply chain space, the toughest industry in the world. And we're doing it to highlight the ones who build companies the way that doesn't get a lot of attention, bootstrapped. So I'm super excited today to get to introduce our guest and my friend, Roberto Icaza, who's the president and co-founder of Rapido Solutions Group in Mexico. Roberto, good afternoon. It's good to see you again. Thanks, Nate. It feels great to be here. I'm part of the first live show. It's exciting. Um, so let's start with a little bit of your background on how did you begin to learn logistics in the first place? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, Nate, I would say probably most people here at this conference probably fell into it by accident. And in my case, you know, looking back to college, I was looking for a summer internship and one of my fraternity brothers told me, hey, my dad's logistics company in Chicago, it's fast growing. They're looking for summer interns. Uh, you're interested in applying. At that time, I didn't know anything about trucking, logistics or anything like that. Uh, that person was Andrew Silver, and that company was Tidy Logistics. So at that time, I think talking about 2010 or so, and at that time, Coyote was still a little bit of the underdog. They weren't the brand that everyone knows now, and they had just landed a Heineken account, and one week into my internship, I got a crash course of logistics, and I got thrown into what was that most high-profile account, and, and it was really a great learning experience, I think, um, if you all know Chris Pickett, he's now the CCO of Flock. Sure. He's the one that was really responsible for bringing that in. And Nate, I remember it like yesterday. I mean, we're talking, what, 13 years ago during my internship. He pulled me into a room and he's like, I want to give you an explanation of how we sold this to the customer. And, and in many ways, it seemed like he was giving me what now considered the Pickett curve six years before it happened. And that's really when I, I think I became really enamored in the industry and, and really fell in love with it. And it was just so ripe for disruption. And a lot of my peers at that time were going into consulting and, and different things like that, where I really saw an opportunity to do something differently. And fast forward, you know, after my internship, went back there for a full-time job and, and got exposed to right away the Mexico side of logistics operations. So for me, I was bilingual. It kind of was a natural fit. There weren't many bilingual people at that time. So jumped right into that. And, and for me, it was so interesting to even see that I'd be working with load planners in Tijuana and 20 miles over the border in San Diego. And it was such a different way of doing business and communicating and the way that you would develop a relationship. So I was just learning so much about the inner workings of the supply chain, working more on the transportation management side and not so much that the true brokerage. Mm -hmm. I was more interested in, in learning a little bit more about 
how we could optimize the supply chain, how we could work with these different customers and help them become more efficient, much more than just the typical, nothing wrong with it, but you know, the pickup, deliver, invoice next. I, I really wanted to understand better the full kind of side of the supply chain. So, so yeah, that was really kind of what got me into it, Nate. And then, you know, like I said, I was exposed to so much of the Mexico uh, operation. Eventually there was a need to build out a Mexico business unit. So I helped open Coyote's first office in Guadalajara, and I was traveling back and forth, uh, and eventually they asked me to actually relocate as an expat. So I moved down there to help expand their operation, open another small office in Monterey, and it was continuing to learn more and more about not only just logistics, but international logistics, something that I really love. So there's a lot of folks that I talk to on a weekly basis that reach out and they tell versions of the same story. I've got a full-time job. I've been working in the industry for a long time, but I have an idea that I really want to pursue that's totally novel and never been done. Or I see a problem that's out there and I think I could do it better or differently than others that are tackling that same problem. So was there a moment where you knew what you wanted to work on was going to be the passion for the next 5, 10, 15 years of your life where that switch just flipped for you into, I want to be an entrepreneur? It's funny, when I, when I moved down, actually, to help open this office in Mexico, I had plans to do a side hustle of actually starting at the Kilo Brand. Okay. That was such a different show. Let's go there. Very different, where I thought, you know what, you know, I know the logistics side of it. It's something I like to think I'm a tequila enthusiast. And, and I really thought there was an opportunity there. It was at the time when it was growing. Quickly realized about a celebrity ambassador is probably a little bit challenging. Uh, but again, I had moved down there and, and what I was seeing really early on when I was fully immersed in living there is that our people in Guadalajara were doing the same exact thing, if not better than the people I had in Chicago. And funny, I think you interviewed him last year, actually, my business partner, Danny Frisco. This original idea of Rapido was kind of what he thought of. We didn't really know each other. A lot of people think we were good friends before this, and we didn't know each other at all. Uh, we, we briefly kind of had acquaintances at, at Coyote, but his wife actually made the connection. He calls me one day out of the blue. is like, hey, I'm thinking about this idea. I want to do it in Mexico. Uh, I know you're living there. How about you help me consult and see if we can do something? That fast forward, we, he flew down, and again, I barely know Danny at this time, and I said, you know what, let's do a quick lunch. I'm going to have some plans later that evening. And what started off as initially just going to be a quick lunch turned into, you know, a four or five-hour dinner, uh, or lunch, just to say. And we really started talking about what the vision could be, what the type of a culture we wanted to be, with that true North Star always being people first. And I remember we're at that lunch, the waiters are bringing napkins, we're writing different ideas down. And in my head, it's like, you know, he, he's really trying to sell me to do this with him. He wanted someone that could do it on the Mexico side of him staying in the U.S. And it was at that moment, now that you asked me that, where I, I knew after that, what started out to be a one-hour lunch turned into a 12-hour day. Definitely some liquid inspiration along the way, some tequila and things of that nature, but... You know, again, I just remember that I woke up the next day and knew, you know what, this could be a really good partnership. And, and this is something that, you know, if I don't take a chance now, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, I just didn't want to keep doing that day job forever. I knew whether it was going to be a tequila brand or a staffing company. I, mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was, Nate, but I knew that there was something that I wanted to do. And 
At the time, I was fortunate in the sense that I could take a little bit more risk. I didn't have a family or anything like that. So, you know, that's where I really knew and took that leap of faith into the entrepreneurial journey. Well, we might be able to, not that you're freight famous, but we might be able to get a tequila brand service or a local investor from the audience. If, we're, if, if we can draw a big enough crowd, maybe you can have that dream too. Um, I know that Latin American business culture is something that you're extremely passionate about. And as the son of uh, first-generation immigrants to America, those two storylines are connected for you. Can you unpack for me, what is it that you're trying to do that's beyond the staffing and beyond the industry? What impact are you trying to have? And how did you get to that place in your own personal story to care about it so much? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Nate. And I've done a lot of introspection about this because just to give you a little bit about that story, both my parents immigrated to the U.S. from Nicaragua, small country in Central America. And they left to the U.S. because there was a revolution going on, civil war. Uh, my mom was in jeopardy of being drafted into the army. My grandfather was the target of the government. My dad had a small architecture business at the time, and they completely just took it over. So of all places, that they were able to get out and land in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I, I grew up in the Midwest, but always had that connection to Nicaragua. I was going back and forth. And something that they always had a plan to move back. And I think it didn't it took me a while for me to really realize that they made that ultimate sacrifice to not move back, go back to the comfort of seeing family and really starting over in the U.S., to give my siblings, myself, a lot of my aunts and uncles to the same, my cousins, to give us that opportunity and that, that cliche American dream. But, you know, fast forward throughout my childhood, and something that I always saw, Nate, was despite living in the U.S. and establishing roots there, they were always very set on giving back. And they got very involved in actually doing medical mission trips to Nicaragua and actually helped set up a free child's clinic in Nicaragua. And I was actually really fortunate to actually be able to go on one of those trips while I was in high school. Much when I went to those trips to Nicaragua, usually it was to go to the beaches, see family. So it was a really life-changing and almost perspective-changing trip for me, Nate. And I remember I went there to serve as a translator for the doctors, and I would sneak away to go play with the kids. And, and there was this one girl I met, Nate, and her name was Kendra. And... I remember, I mean, this is 17 years ago, and I still remember this, where we would sit down, we would do math problems, and she would come back the next day and show me everything that we had taught, and she was so eager to learn more. And it always kind of stuck with me and left that lasting impression that if you give these type of people this opportunity that they don't have, it's amazing to see the dedication and the passion that they have. And, and after that trip, I think something triggered me where I knew I always wanted to not only give back to people, but give back to the community in Latin America. For me, it's something that I'm so passionate about, not only because of my roots, it's the culture full of life, passion. It's something that I always knew I was, my dream was to do something at the intersection of the U.S. and Latin America and, and use my understanding of both cultures and, you know, that, that passion to want to give back. And it's crazy. Here I am on stage with you now talking about a company I built. And my parents made that sacrifice to give me that American dream. And that American dream, full circle, led me to opening a company in Latin America and creating jobs for people in Mexico, having a social impact and, and giving opportunities to, to a group of people that, you know, unfortunately, reality is not only Mexico and Latin America, they 
a lot of countries that face political unrest, security issues, uh, very toxic work cultures. So I really thought it was an awesome opportunity not only to give back to people, but also give them an opportunity to give them a work culture where we could radically change the way that people think about what a people first culture looks like in Latin America. So yeah, when, when you ask it like that, it's kind of crazy to see the full circle, but it's been a dream come true. I also know that the journey of entrepreneurship is anything but a straight line. It's a roller coaster. There's tons of ups and downs. And you're in year four, five? Yeah. So in February, it'll be four years. So when you think five years down the road or 10 years down the road, do you have a vision in your mind of what do you hope to accomplish in the industry alongside with what do you hope to accomplish in like Latin work culture? And how do you, how do you be patient to let that happen? You know, it's, it's interesting to think about it, Nate, because I think, like a lot of entrepreneurs, there is sometimes that imposter syndrome. Mm. And, you know, I think next year we're, we're planning to be over a thousand plus people. And a lot of people ask, you know, what's next? You know exactly how you're going to do it. With, and then the honest answer and something I've come to terms with and that I'm okay with is I don't know exactly that answer, mm. but I think that's okay. And as we're thinking ahead for what's for the next five, 10 years, I'm thinking more about the next one year, three years, and winning each day and having that mentality where I want to surround myself with the best of the best and make sure that we're going to get there, but it's going to be a marathon. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be a sprint. And a lot of that does lead to having a good plan, making sure that our sales team and everything is there because we can have this whole business plan that looks great, business systems, but the only way to justify that is having sales to prove that. So I think it's, you know, there's not that direct path what we know we want in five, 10 years. But I think for me, it's, it's really been able to understand what I do know that's fine, surrounding myself with a great team and, and making sure that we are fanatically consistent and disciplined in what we know. You know, I like to call it our hedgehog concept, that idea of, all right, there's kind of three different pillars to that. It's what's your economic engine, understanding what that is, what are you passionate about, and what do you do best, better than the best of the world? Mm. And where those three pillars kind of clash in that inner circle, if you stay fanatically consistent and disciplined there, I think whatever you have planned for the next couple of years, we're going to achieve it, and I have no doubt about it. So you have to adapt constantly as well as an entrepreneur versus having a day job. What advice would you give to those who are listening who want to make the leap and maybe either don't have the resources or are just afraid? What would you say to them knowing what you know now? No, I would say don't do it alone. And, and what I mean that necessarily is for me, it's great having a co-founder and a partner because it can be lonely at the top. But what I mean by saying not doing it alone is even if you're a sole co-founder or have co-founders, like I just talked about, I think I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, whether it's in logistics or other industries, and this idea of an imposter syndrome is real. But there's such a eagerness of other entrepreneurs, other people that know some things that maybe you don't know that want to help. So really bringing in that network, hiring the best of the best. I can't say that enough, that having the right people in the right seats, how important that is. And really making sure that, you know, there's communities out there. I know there's the Ballast School, for example. For me, that's been very, very helpful where, you know, I'm able to meet once a month with other like-minded uh, entrepreneurs in this industry. And a lot of times we are just having open conversations about, hey, 
I've had this problem. Has anyone dealt with this? And more often than not, there's two or three people that raise their hands. And so there's things like that where you can continue to invest in your own learning. There's also executive coaching. That's something that I think Danny and my, my partner and myself started way too late. I, I wish we would have done that much earlier. So my, my advice to anyone would be really invest in your learning and, and don't do it alone because it, you're going to be able to do so much more if you can find people within your network and other people that have done it before that really guide you and get you to where you want to be. A lot of the stories that I hear about the deepest learnings that entrepreneurs have had have come from the biggest mistakes. If not, I have a brilliant strategy and we just executed it very well. It is, I thought something or I made an assumption and I turned out to be dead wrong. So without putting you too much on the spot, are there any things that you would do differently if you could do it again or that you feel like you just plain old got wrong? Honestly, there's not many things I would do differently. I'm a huge proponent of the idea of, you know, failing fast, failing early, failing often. And I touched on it a little bit, but I think we've had a, a, a fairly exponential growth trajectory. And I think there's one thing that maybe I would do differently now that I think about it is, you know, this, the team that we had when we had a couple hundred people looks drastically different than the team I have now. And I tell this to our people all the time, and it might sound a little direct, but it's we always think of the future of the org. And if we want to be a couple thousand people in the next few years in a couple different countries and other cities, things like that, it's very likely that the team you have then that got you there might not be the same team to get you there. And, and it's something, again, we, we call it the future of the org. It's something that I think there are times where we probably held on to people longer than we should have. Sure. Because, hey, they... They were there with me in the trenches, blood, sweat, and tears, and helped build it. And that's not to say that they shouldn't be able to continue to develop, but there's sometimes where we outpace that growth and need to bring someone in that's a little bit further along with the experience that we needed. And there are probably times where I waited too long to let go of some of those people. And it, and it sounds tough. It's some of the toughest to let go of some people, and, and, and it's, it's hard. But I think for us, we have this one-track mind of, of really doing something different, something special. And to do that, you have to have the right people on the bus in the right seats. So I think just thinking of that future of the URN is something that, you know, the concept of almost firing fast, hire slow, and it, it might sound harsh, but it's something that I've learned along the way, and especially our executive coaches have said, that team you have now probably will not be the same executive team you have in three years. Which may be a difficult thing for some people to receive. Especially in an industry like ours where there's a lot of focus on technology. Yet we're seeing now that the market has changed and relationships are back in vogue and software doesn't solve all of those issues. So on the other side of that, you're saying I have a you have a big focus on the relationships with your team and with your customers, and you're becoming more and more a global company. And some of those relationships aren't going to last. So how do you balance that paradox of caring and supporting for the people that you have today while also knowing you have to level up? If you want to be a 2,000-person organization, you're going to have to grow. Otherwise, you might be that person that, hey, I don't know if you're the right guy. So how, how do you make peace with that as a business owner that the choices that you make impact families all over the place. Yeah, you, you know, for us, you know, we, when we say people first culture, I think that's 
for me, it's always going to be that North Star of our company. But at the same time, again, we have very, very high expectations for where we're going to go. And something that we've always thought was really important is building a culture where, what I like to call it, everyone has to wear the board of advisor hats and embrace the idea of, of challenging each other. Mm-hmm. Kind of the idea of radical candor where sure. for this to really work, I don't care what my title or what seat I'm in. If I'm saying something or I have an idea and you guys don't agree with it, I want it you know, in a respectful way, but I, I want that healthy conflict. I want that challenge. And, and we are trying to build that culture where we are having that radical candor and those challenges amongst each other where we can really get the best out of every single person, make sure that everyone understands, hey, no hard feelings, but we're going to, we need to get everyone to get accountable and make sure that we're achieving what we need to achieve. So I think for us, it's building that, but also on the flip side is having a culture where we genuinely care for each other. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, I say that all the time. Like I I don't say it sounds cheesy, but we are a family and there is that genuine love and care Especially, you know, I talked about in Latin America, it's a much more close-knit community. So we do have to make some of these changes. It really hits the, our people hard. Yeah. And, it, and it's tough to balance it. But I think it is finding that balance of, all right, there's genuine care for our people within our company. But we're also going to embrace a culture where we're going to be able to challenge each other, have respect for each other, no hard feelings. But that's going to be the, what really gets to the best out of everyone. What I like particularly about getting to spend so much time with founders is the learnings that they have from their own journeys they can pass on to others. The other goal is to help grow awareness and support bootstrap founders who don't have massive budgets to go out and buy PR and and sponsor headline events everywhere. So without putting you too much on the spot, what should other companies know about Rapido that makes you different that is the chance for you to say, Here, here's what makes Rapido special? It's 100% our people. And in this having that culture where I know there's a lot of different options, a lot of different countries and things like that. I think Mexico has been great for us. We are thinking about expanding into uh, other cities in Mexico and other countries. But for us to be able to have that people-first culture and have that, what I call that bet, if I treat our people so well, they're going to take care of our customers. And that's really that mentality. But also to make sure that we're just not providing a staffing solution. We don't really view this as just a staffing play. We really want to make sure that we're bringing in the best of the best talents and that we're providing comprehensive training, having a coaching model developed that makes sure that there's going to be continuous improvements. And then we're not just putting butts in seats, that we're really developing people and giving them opportunities to grow personally and professionally. And I think what we've seen is when our people get those type of opportunities, and I, and I kind of touched on that earlier, it's really amazing to see what they can accomplish. And, and you're connecting them with some of the best companies, logistics companies in the world. And it's, it really is a win-win for everyone involved. So for me, I think it's having that mindset is really what has been able to be our differentiator and what continues to separate us. In a relationship industry like this, at an industry conference like this, I'm sure there are people that are here that have mentored you and taught you um, and guided you along the way. So who would you give a shout out to as being um, those who helped lift you lift you up to get to this place and, and support you when you need it now? Yeah, Feel free to name names. If you're, yeah, no, I mean, it's been interesting because 
you know, at the beginning of my career, you know, I've probably had a few throughout my career at Coyote. Someone you might know Cameron Ramsdale. That's who I first worked with. I learned a ton from someone like Cameron, who's now done very well for himself and is, is CEO of his own company. And then also someone like a Scott Shara, someone who I got very close with towards the end of my career. And he was the person that I had to talk to when I decided to take this leap of faith. And I'll never forget, I was a little nervous about it. I wasn't sure how he was going to react. I, I'm living in Mexico as an expat. I'm supposed to stay there to help open another office in Monterey. And the first thing is, I'm proud of you. I'm so happy for you. Uh, and I told him all about the idea. And he, and, you know, he got me even joking. He said, hey, I'll, I'll invest. Like, is there an opportunity? And things like that. So uh, those have been two people that have been instrumental, that I've stayed in contact with, and have been awesome mentors for me. And and since we moved on, you know, I just talked about it. But for me, my now mentor is my executive coach. It's someone that's been there, done it, has run his own companies, and and is always available not just to talk about ideas for growth and profitability and some of the business stuff, but also when I just need to talk to someone, he's always been open to that and someone that I can always call for whatever I need. So it's been kind of an evolution. There isn't like one person in yeah. particular. But it's been a, definitely a collective group of people that have been able to help inspire me and get me where I am today. And last, then, what would your parents say now? Are they proud of you? I think so. I know when I first did it, I told them I was going to make this kind of leap of faith. Uh, my mom just didn't get it. She's like, you got a comfortable job. You're living in Latin America. We're so proud of you. Like, why are you going to take this chance now? Uh, and funny enough, they were visiting... Uh, couple of months ago when we were opening some new spaces, they came down and they were super proud of it. You know, we're driving in the car and, and she asked me, like, do you regret the decision? Or, and I was like, looking around, like, what do you think, mom? And she kind of laughed. So uh, I think they're definitely proud and it's been really cool for them to see how I've lived in Latin America and, and really making that social impact now. Well, it's great to see a story that starts so small and humble. In a small country in Central America, a family moves to another country. Now you've moved on to a, another country yourself. You're impacting lives. You're having a positive uh, effect in the industry itself. And I, I would love it if um, a younger entrepreneur, a first-time entrepreneur who is seeking that inspiration or that guidance themselves would reach out to you and and be able to ask you some of those questions and learn from um your experiences so far. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I want to help out as many people as possible, especially first time entrepreneurs. Well, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't have it off the top of my head. You can go to gorapido.com and put in any requests there. And then my email is rikaza at gorapido.com. So you can find me on LinkedIn, email. I'm very responsive. Well, I appreciate you taking the chance to share your story live. This is a, a first for us. So thank you for, for trusting me and, and taking a chance on this. Uh, as I say every time, we're all rooting for you. I uh, appreciate it, Nate. And this is awesome to see your full circle. I know we talked about this a year ago, and here you are on stage at Freeway. So proud to see how far you've come also, and I'm happy to be part of this. Thank you, my friend.